Hi, BT Maddox here, producer of the Cashflow Podcast. Due to the technical nature of this episode and the screen shares being used, it's best viewed on our YouTube channel. Go to cashflowpodcast.com and click on the link to YouTube to find this episode. Thanks. Chris, uh, back again, round two. Uh, we talked about AI last time when it was me, you, and Sean. Today, we're going to do a second dive into just like, you know, what's happened since April. We talked last in April, and, you know, a lot of our conversation was themed around uh, AI. Uh, for the listeners, Chris Carr, CEO of Ferrotech, digital marketing firm uh, based out in the Philly suburbs. You work with a lot of different types of companies, healthcare, enterprise, uh, I think some manufacturing, uh, all sorts of different companies that help their brands proliferate digital, digitally. Uh, anything you want to add to that before we dive into the the main topic here, which is the AI conversation? No, man, I, I got to tell you, I've been all in on AI since the last time we talked. It's like, I thought I was doing it, you know, with 30% of my time. Now I feel like I'm doing it with all my time. It's It's been absolutely bonkers. Um, so, yeah, a lot to unpack, a lot to unpack. Just went to uh, Maycon, which is the marketing AI conference out in Cleveland uh, by Paul Rotzer. He's the guy who got me into this mess. And um, it's just going so fast, so fast. You were texting me, uh, I think, while you were at the conference and you were saying like it was interesting, but like there was, you know, it was a little bit of kind of the same stuff regurgitated or something or like it, yeah, it was kind of like mixed feedback you were giving me when you were there. Well, it was like you had certain people like Ethan Mollick from Wharton that were just unbelievable. But then there were other people because they know that the the landscape is changing so rapidly. It's like anything you taught that was like tactical could be obsolete in like a week. <laughs> so they were really going into high level theory on like how computers think, how humans think, how we evolve, how to be responsible and stuff like that. And so it was like really high end theory. And I um I felt like I really wanted to see some of the tactical stuff. And they said that they accomplished a lot of that in the workshops the day prior. And so unfortunately, it was a great, I mean, the the the, the conference was an amazing experience, but some of the things I was hoping for, uh, I should have signed up for. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Um, yep. all right, cool. What was like the biggest uh just you know, quick riff on like what was the biggest takeaway for you that was just really interesting or exciting or uh new information? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think the biggest thing that we're we're looking at right now is that you've got companies who um are either being an ostrich and putting digging their head in the sand or putting their head in the sand, and they are just not even close to being ready for this. And then also the sheer speed of this thing, it's like an asteroid, like coming <laughs> like right at earth. Um, and so yeah. a lot of what they were saying, um, it just made me think about how I'm presenting uh, and things like that. Um, not sure if I told you this or not, but um, my agency is practically on autopilot. And what I do uh, for a living now is essentially meet up with companies that want what, what I call the state of AI. And the state of AI basically says, on this date, this is all the cool tools that are out, and this is are coming out. This is how you should prepare. This is how you be responsible with AI. These are some of the Armageddon questions that I might be able to answer. <laughs> and I do this, I don't know, almost 15 times a month. 
You know, it's funny. I was just talking with this guy that I've known for a long time, John DeJong. I don't know if you okay. have met him before. Uh, he used to have a company. He's he's like VP of technology at Globo. They're like a, a translation service. And they use a yeah. lot of a a AI and ML on their product stack. They've been using AI and ML on their product stack for like a decade. Wow. And uh, he used to have a company called SparkNet uh, out in the okay. mainline. Uh, my company, Curatech, actually acquired SparkNet in 2017. So I've known mm. him before that. But, uh, they, you know, they were like a software development uh, agency. Uh, and they uh, they were doing a lot. Like, you know, I was talking, I literally just had a call with him before we talked, before, you know, before us talking now. And, uh, you know, like he had been working with AI and ML going back like 10 years and there's like a lot of technologists like software people and you know technologists that have been working with these technologies for a long time like even mm -hmm. open ai like open ai goes back like many many years uh tensorflow sure. like all this stuff like these tools we're using yeah. go back many many years but it's like just this year or late last year late 2022 is when like they kind of went mm -hmm big from like a, you know, sort of like the tools are, you know, in the hands of end users, like consumers or, you know, business people yep. now. Uh, so I, I do think there's like rapid mm -hmm. advancement that's going to happen. But like, what's funny is that a lot of the things that these tools are doing, the capability has been around for a long time. Like, it's not like any yep. like new advancement, like we didn't just discover some, you yeah. know, we didn't just discover some like, you know, thing that's like new that we didn't know before. Well, I think you got a couple of factors. One, the transformer paper that basically blew the whole, you know, basically it let the cat out of the bag. And once people saw the transformer paper, they started to literally start to implement some of those ideas and concepts into these things. So when you have GPT-3, when you have GPT-3.5 and stuff like that, that was all this one inflection point was the transformer paper that came out. I think the other thing Who, I'm not familiar with the transformer paper. Uh, I, I'll have to send it to you, but everyone references it as the transformer paper, but it was, it was like the big one. Um, and so a lot of these companies, like you said, were we're basically building this stuff under the hood, but where I feel like the transformational movement happened was when Zuckerberg basically launched a lot of his AI stuff open source. And so you had llama one and now you have llama two and the open source basically has this thing out in the world. And then these closed models have to be like, hey, you know what? If that's already there, I want to be kind of first mover advantage. Then you have open AI that releases something that they didn't even think was <laughs> market ready. And then Google had to respond. And then Bing is sort of, I mean, Microsoft's in the middle financing a bunch of these players all at once. And it's just this level of competition that it's just kind of crazy, but it's, it's, it's what makes the product better is, is that you've got Titans all chasing after this trillion dollar valuation. Yeah. So uh, it, the thing, the funny thing about the, the, you said Zuckerberg released, like, I think it was like, you know, like the, the official word is that it was like leaked or whatever. I'm doing air quotes. Uh, yeah, some people exactly. like the, the conspiracy theorists out there, which, you know, the conspiracy yep. seems like it could be true is that uh, it was like leaked intentionally yeah. Uh, or, uh, or was yeah. it actually leaked somehow? Like without well, then they leaked. Yeah. Then they leaked the weights two weeks later. I mean, like, how do you, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, sure. Yeah. I, I, get yeah, it. you know, so it's, you know, the rest is sort of history, but what is funny is I have so many people that come up to me and I'm just saying like, Oh, what do you think about the regulation? What do you think about the regulation? What do you think about the regulation? I'm like, 
Well, they're going to put open source models out there. So even if the big players all cooperate, which I, I think is kind of a smoke show anyway, but let's pretend like they did. You could just take the guardrails off an open source model and do pretty much what the other foundational models can do right out of the gate. So like, so I was just, uh, so John, I was just talking to, I told you about a moment ago. He was telling me, I didn't know this. He was telling me that open AI, obviously they're using all, they're all in on the Microsoft Azure cloud. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me they're using CPUs to train their models, which is like super uh, inefficient, uh, like yeah. GPUs or like application yeah. specific processors or application specific chips. Uh, ASICs are the the mm -hmm. right hardware to be using. There's a uh, an NVIDIA. There's a suite of NVIDIA products that are like the gold standard. Yeah. They're like hundred thousand yeah. dollars per per uh, yeah. card. And uh, so Amazon has these things now. I think Amazon just launched uh, Bedrock, which is like their instance for yep. running these models. And yep. uh, so it's like 10x, like it's blowing away what Azure can do right now. So it's like 10x better. Taking yep. it all the way back to regulation, one of the biggest uh, like proponents of regulation, one of the biggest like advocates for regulation is uh, Sam Altman, who is the CEO of OpenAI, who like seems mm -hmm. to be in the lead with AI. Uh, like if you read the news, like everyone, like chat yep. GPT, it's like Kleenex or Band-Aid. It's like a noun essentially I know. for yeah. all these other things. But like technologically speaking, uh, they mm -hmm. might lose their lead, like as better oh, systems. Yeah. Like if, you know, they're, they're running on Azure, like, you know, AWS can compute this model data like 10 times faster. So mm -hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. one of the things that I've heard, uh, you know, I've had some conversations and heard people talking about is this, the idea that Sam Altman is trying to introduce strat, uh, regulation as a strategy for slowing down competitors. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's called regulation capture. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all the, all the big players are sort of doing it. Now, what is funny is, is that they did say meta was at the table, but it's very funny because it must've been all the big players. And then they look at Mark, like what are you going to do? Because we're all closed source, you know? Um, but the regulation capture is like basically saying there was a really famous paper that was released by Google that says we have no moat. Did you, did you know, hear about this paper? No. Big paper. When was that? Oh man, this was May, May. Oh, this year. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And basically Wait, so who, saying, was it a shareholder letter or who was it? What, no, what was someone, it was an internal memo in Google and then it got released into the wild. Oh, okay. Huh. And essentially what they said is, is that we have no way to protect ourselves, that there's nothing proprietary that we have that an open source model can't do. Now, I mean, it was highly, um, what's it called? The, you know, other people basically said that's crap. It was but, just an email, right? I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it, 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 it sends it, it send shockwaves throughout the industry. And so when that happened, like literally within two weeks, all these big players all started to go into regulation mode because if they don't have a moat, the number one way to protect yourself is to make sure that some of the open source and some of these other players have to deal with federal regulations. I'm Googling it. Uh, I'm Googling the, the Google has no moat memo. Uh, mm -hmm. So DeepMind CEO Demis Hasibis doesn't believe yeah. open source AI models will outpace Google. So that's the the yep. person who doesn't agree with the moat or the the no moat memo. Uh, who who wrote? I'm trying to figure out who wrote the memo. It was it was written in Google. I but, know, but who who wrote it? Was it just like some random person, or was it like a real like you know high level? No, 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 no. It's definitely a real person. 
it was i know i know someone, that but like is it was it like someone i you know yes more clear, like enough. someone high up wrote this oh yeah high high enough for this to matter but but them sabas is gonna be did you see alpha go uh-uh so alpha go is the deep mind project this was released it's on youtube why don't they say mind. sorry man i'm still on this memo thing. Why, <laughs> why don't they say uh they, they don't say who wrote the memo like what it is that's stupid oh yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, but it's like the the players who are in this are thinking about this all the time. You know, yeah. like like regulation capture has to be. It's either it's either the dystopia of AI that will destroy the world, or if you want regulation capture, that's you know that it's kind of like a qui bono type thing. I mean, they these foundational models have this big lead. If they can stop the open sources. From being able to do this stuff then that's great but i mean even with everything that's on hugging face right now like they should be able to take a lot of the foundational models they already have and build some really great stuff with them you know yeah um, yeah for sure you know and, and so that's that's crazy but i mean i think um you know with the deep mind people the guy who was saying he didn't agree with the moat thing uh the deep mind project is going to be turning into uh oh doggone it edit this out if it's not the real name or you can help me look it up i think it's called gemini or something like that it's it basically google's bard has been an epic fail but the next one is i think and i'm having a blank on what the next one's gonna be called i mean the models are always changing i mean is it uh i think they i, have, I haven't heard anything about this is it is it just yeah. like a consumer product like are they wrapping it in some sort of like interface or i think that they're gonna have to i think that they're gonna have to i think they're literally that far behind in the in the space race here it's interesting though like they they do have i mean google has been leading ai for so long and yep. they have it like so baked into their products like you know yep. one of the best use cases for ai is autocomplete on google search it knows what you're probably yeah. going to type exactly they have that but i mean i think that like understanding the weights and the and the and the NLP part of this is 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 a challenge. Also, with ChatGPT, when you have the reinforcement learning, the, they had so many people in it early enough that it just it basically takes on a mind of its own. Now, when, I want to circle back to what you were talking about with like this this chip, the chip shortage, and the and the race to get the better technology. Have you ever heard of inflection AI? I, I'm almost positive I had you download this. I'm checking. Inflection in the AI makes this thing called Pi, and I'm going to open it up for you right now. So I'm opening up my app, and this is uh, an app called Pi. If to get it on Apple, you just type in Pi AI, and then it literally is what's called it's it's a personal AI. So, hey, just checking in. I wanted to show a real quick demo to my friends about Pi and what you guys do. Hey, friend. Glad to chat with you and your friends. I'm happy to give you all a quick demo of my conversational capabilities. I'm sure your friends will be amazed at how natural and engaging I can be. Are they ready to meet the future of AI? Yeah, actually, I think they're really spooked. Haha, <laughs> I love your sense of humor. It's not uncommon for people to feel a little apprehensive about AI at first. But don't worry, I'm here to show them that conversational AI is nothing to be spooked about. I'm friendly, informative, and always happy to chat. So should we start the demo? Yeah, go ahead. 
All right, here we go. Let's start by having a simple conversation, just like you and I are having right now. Ask me any questions you want about anything at all, and I'll answer them in a friendly, informative way. So fire away. Last question. Why is the sky blue? Really thinking on that one. Yeah. It's a hard question. Hey, why is the sky blue? Uh, I see what you did there. You're having fun testing my conversational capabilities, aren't you? But I'm happy to answer the same question again, just like a real person would. So are you ready for the scientific explanation of why the sky is blue? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's like the responses are pretty good. Uh, it's yep. like the the technology, you know, it's mm -hmm. probably it's like ChatGPT when it first came out. It was yep. it was just like overload. Like the systems were overloaded frequently. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that Microsoft bet on three different horses. They bet on, you know, multiple different horses. But the first one is OpenAI, and then OpenAI, um, you have OpenAI, you have Anthropic who built Claude. And then this one, which is Inflection AI, and the, and the rumor is is that Inflection AI has the strongest supercomputer out of all three of them. And so, mm -hmm. if the coding isn't up to date yet on on what I just showed you, that's going to be a massive. That's going to be another major player in this whole mess. So, uh, so what what's like the real use case of this thing though? Like you can talk to it and kind of do like a cool party trick, but like what's the what's the real um, use case of it? Well, I mean, it's pretty soon you'll be able to upload files and links to it. But like what I do is is that while I'm driving, I'll say, hey, I'm gonna today I'm gonna write a blog about X, and I'm trying to figure out what am I missing, what am I not missing, what are some data points that you think would be cool? Who else wrote maybe something like this that reminds you of what I'm talking about? And it's literally like I'm talking to a person. It's like I'm brainstorming with someone. So from a content creation standpoint and a creativity standpoint, it's pretty freaking good. You think we're going to have, like, you ever seen that movie where people fell in love with their AI? Like, you think we're going to have that pretty soon? Absolutely. The movie Her. What's funny is you <laughs> look online and there's like the speed from which people will try to sext with it is like probably within the first three minutes of downloading it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it says no. <laughs> Oh, it does. <laughs> That's good. You yeah. guess you tried. <laughs> yeah, I had a friend who tried. I'm sure. <laughs> sure. Yep. Sure. Yep. Yep. That's funny, um, man. But it is crazy. So, I mean, I think that's I think that's one of the big players is is it's going to be this like arms race of who has the strongest compute, and then those players are going to have a strategic advantage over you know, you got the people that are knee deep in code, but they don't have the compute. And so it's going to be a hardware versus coding balance. You got to, you got to have both. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I want to take a quick break from the episode and say, if you're enjoying this content, the best way you can say thank you is to subscribe. So if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. And if you're on one of the podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button there as well. And also share it out to your friends and colleagues. If you find this content useful and you think other people will enjoy it as well, please send it out. And back to the episode. What other use cases are you guys using? Um, mm -hmm. Like what, what other AI use cases do you guys have going on these days? Well, let me show you something here that we call um, chat priming. Let me share my screen real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So with chat priming, one of the big challenges you have when you're doing AI, um, you say you're using ChatGPT. You go into ChatGPT and you start typing and you try to ask for, hey, write me a 1500 word blog or write me an email, whatever it is. And even though you could have a long thread with the chat, 
it knows very, very little context about you and what you're trying to do and your goals and things like that. And so what, what we recommend is doing this thing, it's called chat priming. And the reason why you would do chat priming is not only to get the AI to know you better, but to also to try to cut down on hallucinations. So hallucinations are essentially the idea when AI can't understand what to basically tell you, it sort of imagines things to fill in the gaps. And so I had this best-selling author named Ann Hanley. She was on my blog and she says, the number one concern I have about AI is, is that it confidently gives you misinformation. And so we're going to talk a little bit later about exploratory data analysis and where that's been a problem with it. But here's what we're seeing with hallucinations is, is that if you can give it more content, it's not going to guess as much. And so what I mean by a hallucination is, let's say hypothetically I have a blog and I say, hey, give me five statistics that are going to back up or support this 1500 word blog. It'll absolutely do that. But then you'll go and check the references and they never really existed. None of the statistics, like this is on every single chat program, they make up their own stats. I've seen that before. So I've, I've like asked questions about something specific, like, um, yep. like a LinkedIn URL or like a GitHub URL or like a yep. ID for something. And it just makes up, uh, it just yeah. makes up URLs and IDs. Yeah. So here's what you do to try to eliminate it. You do this thing, it's called chat priming. What I do with chat priming is I create a super document. I create a super document with different buyer personas, but I will have my buyer personas, transcripts, uh, transcriptions of testimonials, case studies, my about us page, my consideration and decision level pages, my branded pages, eBooks, white papers, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll put that all into a super document. And then what I'll do is I will apply that um, to the code, uh, to the chat before I even get started. Other things that I'll do with my buyer personas is I use a program called SparkToro. Have you ever heard of SparkToro? No. This is Rand Fishkin's new company. Essentially what it is is you type in keywords and it'll tell you, hey, for your buyer persona, this is the blogs they're reading. This is the podcast they listen to. This is the YouTube channels they subscribe to. Where's it get that data though? All of that stuff. I'm not entirely sure. I just, <laughs> um, but it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great tool. So we'll use that. We'll get an export of that and we'll put it into a super document. Now, here's the deal. When you go and you do this on ChatGPT, the old limitations they had were like five, you could only upload 500 words at a time. So then Anthropic came out. Anthropic has a tool called Claude. And what Claude allows us to do is they can allow us to literally uh, click on the attachment button and with the attachment button, I can literally upload as much content as like a Harry Potter book. Not only that, it can give you long form blogs and content back in return. So with ChatGPT, I always had to press the continue button after maybe 500 words, where Claude has higher reading score and higher math scores than ChatGPT. So who makes Claude? Uh, Anthropic. Anthropic, okay, interesting. Yep. So you're yep. saying Claude is more powerful than, than ChatGPT? Yeah, but yes. But where, I like where, the, does it have I, shortcomings? I like the way I like the way um, I like the way ChatGPT writes a little bit better. And so sometimes what I'll do is I'll get the first draft in Claude, and then I'll do one more pass through with ChatGPT because I just kind of like the way they talk better. What about like code? Like working with software code is there uh, is one better than the other? I think that ChatGPT is supposed to be better than this, but I, I'm, 
the coding is the is the weakest part of my game. Okay. Yep. Now, other things that they're going to be doing is Google's going to be coming out with this thing. It's called notepad.lm. And with notepad.lm, essentially what you're going to do is you're going to upload all of your files into one folder, like a Google Drive folder, and that will prime your context. So I tell this story that I put all of my drive time into my Google Calendar. And when I get in my car, I get a text message from my virtual assistant in the Philippines. And she says, it looks like you're driving for an hour. Do you want to get some work done while we drive? And you, normally I say, yes, I do it while I drive. But there is no microchip that I can give my virtual assistant that says every detail about my brand, everything about my clients, every detail about all the things that matter to how I'm trying to communicate. That's impossible. But with chat- Wait, wait, wait. So just, sorry, man, go, go back to that one thing. So, so like when you're driving for an hour, your virtual yeah. assistant calls you and you just like talk to them and get work done? Oh, yeah. Like what, what kind of work do you do while you're driving? I'm curious. Uh, we, we review blogs. We review uh, emails that I have to send out. We review, I'll give her instructions on how to log into teamwork and just try to help me do certain pieces of analysis. Um, I'll have her, you name it. Anything that anything that's like busy work, I get an hour long and I can usually dictate on what I need. Wow. To you drive a lot though, right? 40 hours a month. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't drive that much. I drive uh, like- yeah. I try probably drive, I literally drive like once or twice a month. So I drive one week a month. You know what That's I mean? Nuts. Yeah. yeah. So I try to maximize that time. But my point is, is that no matter how brilliant as she could be, she's not going to be able to in one click, click have a reference of everything I've ever done. And it's very going to be very hard for me to talk to the data. Now, have you been playing around with, um, with code interpreter? Uh, what is code interpreter? Code like, are you saying like, uh, like I know what a, I know what an interpreter is in, in the context oh. of software. Are you talking about that? Or are you talking about no. some product? Mm -mm. No. So this is the biggest update that ChatGPT has done. So this is um, in ChatGPT 4, they have a beta feature. If you go to settings and then beta and then click on code interpreter, let me kind of show you what code interpreter does. I write code with ChatGPT all the time. It's awesome. It's awesome. You do Python? Uh, no, I'm, I'm more like a PHP and JavaScript person, but, uh, yep. you know, my yep. people on my team at Curatech do Python. Yeah. So when I go here, so this is, this is code interpreter and what you're seeing here essentially is a, um, it's like having a master's level data analyst. And so what you're able to do is you're able to upload multiple files into code interpreter. And then you can literally talk to the data, okay? So what you can do by talking to the data is you can ask causation, um, you know, like, is, is there certain correlations? Is there certain causations? And you'll be able to do things like this. Like, so this right here was just, this was done on one of the first days that Code Interpreter came out. Somebody found a public data file on crime statistics in San Francisco. It took the data and everything you're seeing on the right, basically it looked at the time of day, hourly crime rates, seasonal crime rates, things like that. Then on the left, it started to do heat mapping of what counties at what time were having certain crime rates. This report that was done in five minutes was now adopted by San Francisco's uh, police department. And this is a department that gets what? A half a billion dollars a year? And this is literally done overnight.
So what I did was I took my, I did exports of some of our advertising data. I took the advertising data and I was able to look at, look, conversions over time. I was able to look at the first report was kind of screwy. So I said, hey, make it cleaner. And now I can see that my retargeting ads were serious outliers from performance in different campaigns. It would describe these things to me in real words. I was able to look at the performance of top 10 creatives, five campaigns and the number of conversions to find outliers in certain bundles, hours and time of day, the number of conversions by device. Did you cross check all this to make sure there's no hallucinations happening? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty dope. Wow. Other things that we do is, is that- so How long did it take you? Sorry, sorry. I, I, you keep saying yeah. interesting stuff. How, how long did it take you to make this report using ChatGPT? Five seconds. I just uploaded the CSV file. And it just, you just asked it questions after you uploaded it. And then exactly. how long would exactly. it have taken you to like, you know, get all that data out of it if you were trying to do it manually? Jeez, hours, hours and hours. But here's where I really like it is I like to look at macro data. So as you know, we're a HubSpot partner. And let's pretend like I have a, um, let's have say that my long tail keywords for healthcare companies, like a small healthcare company, like isn't performing. And I'm like, wow, these long tail keywords should have ranked. It's been on day 120. What's going on with that? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is normally I would have to go and say, is that just this account? Is that just this account manager? Is this only on websites that, basically have a, a new website in the last three years? Um, what about if they don't have a social presence? What if their backlinks are low? And so what I'm able to do is I'm literally able to work backwards on all my accounts and ask questions. If I do an export of all my accounts, I can start to ask macro questions about basically the data. I'm finding this on one side. Is it true on all my accounts? Is it true with all my, with all my account managers and project managers? If I collect the data, I can now look at all of my accounts all in one snapshot and see correlations, causes. Wait, how do you how do you do that? Do you put them all in one spreadsheet and upload one spreadsheet, or how do you do it? Yep, put them in all one spreadsheet and and, and then upload one you just do, you do one spreadsheet and you just do different tabs on the one spreadsheet for each customer. Yep, or I do it by a title tag. Like in other words, I I just put a big gap and I'll say client one, client two, client three, client four. And it's like I, that's interesting. I guess it's pretty good with. Uh, yep. table data. Yeah. I can, I look at labor efficiency ratios. These are my labor efficiency ratios for all my clients. Um, hopefully Sean can blur out the left-hand side a little bit. <laughs> Post-production. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll have to blow, the, blow those out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, but you can see my labor efficiency ratios. And then I can look at what account managers and what project managers and what we're doing these things. And what if I just looked at my healthcare clients in, in March? What if I looked at my you know, manufacturing clients that are uh, 10 million and above, things like that. So some really, really cool stuff, you know, with Code Interpreter. That blew my mind. The uh, yep part about uploading CSVs mm -hmm. yep. and getting Talking really robust insights yep. out of your data. I mean, there's like, yep. there's entire, you know, like companies invest. Mm -hmm hundreds of thousands, if not millions, like, you know, some companies invest millions of dollars on BI dashboards to do some of the, some of these things you're talking about. Absolutely. And so what it's going to do though, is it's really going to impact SaaS rollouts. So like, let's pretend like we can't beat code interpreter. Everyone's free or whatever it is. 
rather than you rolling out analytics built natively into your SaaS program, what if you really, really worked on having a very good export of your data? So real, real quick, code interpreter, I just logged in and turned that on in my chat GPT instance. Uh, yep. Does, uh, so I haven't played with it yet, but what, so how does it, you, you, could, you could already upload files before without code interpreter. So what does code interpreter do that's different? I, I have not seen that you can upload files into chat GPT. Okay. I think with plugins, you could, you could like read yeah. PDFs, but yep. so this, yeah, this yeah, is like native. Yeah, so the same functionality was a plugin before, but now it's native with code interpreter. Yes. And the firepower is because code interpreter was made by open AI. The horsepower is like three times stronger. Okay. Got it. Yep. Uh, really uh, interesting. Speaking of, speaking of plugins, I think we covered this the last time, but did I ever show you like the demo of like what's going to be possible with like Instacart? No, show me. Crazy time. Hold on to your hat. So this is a little bit of a stretch, but you can do this between two different chat programs, but this will absolutely be done by the end of the year. So I could say, hey, ChatGPT, I went to Deterra and Ambler last night and I had something with shrimp in it. And it would say, based upon the online research that I have, this is their menu and these are the three items that have shrimp in it. Then what I can do is I can say, I had number two, how many calories were in that? And it says, according to the menu, 1300 calories were in the shrimp tacos. Can you make me an alternative with less calories? Based upon a web search, you could do that same recipe for 680 calories. So that's perfect. Please use my Instacart plugin to order those items for me. And in one link, I could have those items at my door in three hours. Wow. No web search involved. Essentially, chat could be a new highway in the way we communicate. And purchase, yeah. Can you have it hook into uh, TaskRabbit to order a chef to come over with it and prepare it for me? <laughs> yeah, seriously. You never know. <laughs> you never know, right? Goodness. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this it's kind of a brave new world, you know? Um, just give me one second here. The, this is actually pretty fun. Give me one second. I, before I got to this, so have you seen this? So this is a company called X1. They're basically funded by um, major investor is OpenAI itself. It's basically trying to put AI into humanoid stuff. Yeah, I've so seen that. Yeah. competitor with Tesla. So literally like this is it moving around. It's going to be able to cook. It's going to be able to clean. It's going to be able to talk to your kids, walk your dog, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the pre-orders on this are this year, 2023. Is this going to be like the Cybertruck? Yeah, you're not kidding. Elon, <laughs> Elon says these robots will be 20 grand. They'll be here by 2027. And there'll be one humanoid robot for every 10 people on the planet. So you say in 2027, so I'm thinking 2036. Yeah, I mean, if it's if that's the if that's the pace of his um his solar shingles. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> solar shingles, yeah. Yep. He didn't sleep on X, man. He got that one done. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm one of the few Elon like I know a lot of people turned on Elon. I I still think he's I still think he always wins. Um, I still like Elon, often. man. Yeah, you, you think I'm, you think he would win in a fight against Zuck? No, I do. You not. think Zuck would win it? Yeah. Well, for one, Zuck's training a little bit. I don't think you've seen the videos where he's training. 
Well, yeah, dude. Yeah, he Zuck's in shape, but I don't I don't know the exact stats, but Zuck's like five ten or something, and yep. Elon's like six five, and he's like you know sixty or eighty pounds more. He's gonna have to get. He's gonna have to hit him. He's gonna have to get him. But after a couple rounds, it's hard to move, move a big body like that. They had him like shirtless on a boat. Not good. <laughs> Do you have any like AI tools where we could like simulate the fight and uh, put put <laughs> yes. the content out there? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Funny you should ask. You want to see something really great? Watch this. I don't know whether you've seen this or not. Who's your fighter? Fight. Beyonce. Elvis. Pope Francis. Merkel. Trump. Ronaldo. King James. Zuck. Yay. Pink, Oprah, Einstein, Kim Jong-un, Jackie Chan, Hillary, Putin, Musk, Daisy, Paul, Mother Teresa, Zoop D-O-double-G, Shaquille, Rihanna, Shakespeare, Marilyn, Washington, Chef Ramsey, RBG, Obama, Tom Cruise, Keanu, Elizabeth II, Fury, Kate, Gunner, The Rock, Oppenheimer, Biden, Dark Brand, Icy Joe. So, what you're watching right there. You asked for a fight. They're literally putting this into Mortal Kombat um, style AI jokes. And so what that is right there is mid-journey. Uh, this is what I'm hearing. This is a mid-journey initial creation of each of these characters as Mortal Kombat, then putting it into Pika Labs to make subtle movement. I think it's like six seconds of movement. Runway ML does something very similar. And then somebody went in After Effects and basically put in the um the thumbnails on the bottom and they just lay layered it on top with uh some Mortal Kombat noises hmm. that they probably did with Eleven Labs. So but something just, like that that would cost a fortune. It's just a hybrid of just four or five AIs all combined together and gender and generative. That's just the intro music though, man. I want to see the actual simulated I know. fight between <laughs> Zach and Musk. I know. <laughs> I know it's crazy though, right? It's crazy. So yeah. Yeah, so I like I said, I've been seeing just so much stuff, so much stuff. Um, yeah, can I let me give you one other hack that that I've been doing, and I won't be able to show this as a screenshot, but this is just a tool that we've been not a tool. This is an approach that we were using, and this is one that you know you always come to me for like, hey, what's this nerdy SEO stuff, like these SEO hacks. So one of the SEO hacks that we've been doing is you take your content right that you've written in the past. And then you know that the ranking factors for Google are EEAT. So what I'll do is I'll go into Claude and I'll grab all the content on a certain blog, let's say, right? Then what I'll do is I'll take all the EEAT parameters that are listed by Google and I'll take those and I'll copy those. And I'll also go into ChatGPT or Claude and say, hey- Can you break that down real quick just for the listeners so they know what, what that is? What's that, EEAT? Right, yep. Okay, uh, so Google is, it stands for, oh man, I always say it is EAT. It's like some trust and authority and expertise and experience. 
I think that's what the EEAT is. Basically, these are the parameters that Google wants you to have to make your content rank. In other words, you're not going to put up bullcrap content that's not going to rank. You got to do it from experience. You got to do it from expertise. You got to do it from, um, I forget what the A and the T is. You know what I mean? But Yeah, you, you got to write authoritativeness and trust. Yep. And trust, you know? So all of these parameters are basically, those are the four criteria, and they list a, 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 some high-level ex- definitions of what they mean by EEAT. So then I went into Claude and I said, hey, give me five examples of EEAT, five for E, five for the next, five for experience, five for authority, five for trust. So I took all of the parameters, then I put it in common usage, and then I went to each piece of my content and I said, on a scale of one to 10, I want you to read this piece of content and I want you to tell me on a scale of one to 10, how do I land for experience? How do I land for trust? How do I land for authoritativeness? How do I land for, I forget, experience or whatever the, the fourth one was? I do it on a scale of one to, one to 10. And then I'll say, anything, any parts of this that are lower than a seven, I want you to give me suggestions on how I would improve this piece of content. Do it in a bulleted list. Then I approve those bulleted lists and then I go with each of the bullets and I figure out where to put it into the content. Dude, this just brought up a really interesting thought experiment for me. Like the uh, the the historical way that you get information is you go to Google, you put in a few words and you get 10 blue links and Google has a whole massive complex algorithm that decides those uh, those 10 blue links. And part of it's this EEAT, part of it's like backlinks and who's linking to those pages and how trustworthy and authoritative Google thinks those sources are. Uh, but with AI, like, you know, it's going to be easier as, as tools evolve, uh, you know, it'll probably cannibalize search. The 10 blue links paradigm will probably become a thing of the past. And, uh, I think like, will backlinks be a thing or a backlinks will be backlinks will be very, will very much be a thing. Have you seen SGE yet? How, how do backlinks, uh, how, how how does that matter in, in the world of, uh, of, yep. of chat. Let me chat show you. AI. I feel really bad for your audio listeners. I'm so sorry ab- about this, but I'll try to remember to explain what you're about to see. Yeah. If, if you're listening, just, just go to the YouTube channel and, and watch this <laughs> <on> YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we yeah. should make that the, uh, the intro clip. Just, just go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So this is the example of, of SGE. I, sometimes I was calling, I've been hearing people calling it SGI. I, I don't know. Forgive me if I'm saying it wrong, but so this is what the average search page will look like. So I typed in what locations in the Poconos would be good for a retreat. Do you have and like an experiments thing turned on with Google to get this? Yeah. If you go to labs.google.com. I haven't seen, oh, labs.google. I haven't seen this, uh, this type yep. of a result yet. Yep. And then you have to, um, what do you call it? You have to make sure you're logged out of any corporate Gmail. So you'd have to do it. Do you have a personal Gmail? Oh yeah, that's why. Okay. So I have this turned on on my personal, but I pretty much always use my workspace uh, accounts. I, I rarely use the browser or search on my personal. Yep. Yeah, no, I know. I had to learn this the hard way. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. Keep going. So what you're seeing here is the normal search result. And on the top half where you used to have rich code snippet, um, you know, the rich answer snippet or whatever that was, you now have what's similar to a chat-based program, similar to a response from ChatGPT. And what you'll see here is you can continue to ask it a follow-up question. Okay? Now, 
what you are going to notice though is there's these three answers over to the right where do you ask a follow-up question uh, oh, you see I where see it says in green okay. ask a follow-up question and then you can you can continue to talk with it with the answer but you also see the answers over here to the right basically the other three options i think that search is literally going to say it's almost like a winner take all for the first three spots in google i also think that if you are doing a HubSpot methodology or, or the standard methodology of SEO where you're just creating awareness level content and you're barely mentioning your brand, I think that's going to be a problem because I think that they're going to want to tie services to brands. So I think you're going to start to create more consideration and decision level content rather than just thought leadership content. Wait, so break that down again. So uh, you're, you're talking about the marketing funnel and there's like different stages of the funnel. Like there's awareness means uh, someone doesn't know about you and you're trying to just help them yep. understand your brand exists. There's consideration, which is when someone's yep. like considering making a buying decision yep. and you're, you're trying to help them like get to mm -hmm. the point where like they've made the, they've made the decision. Now they're trying to pick who to buy with, who to buy from. Yep. Uh, so go back but, and explain that again. I, I didn't follow what so you're saying. Awareness, awareness. I barely mentioned my brand at all, at all, at all. I'm just basically a thought leader. It's the same kind of content I put on a guest post. Like when I go to content marketing world, they're like, dude, don't mention your brand. We'll put you in the little cliff notes at the bottom, but don't make this an advertisement. And th this is the same stuff that HubSpot's always been preaching. It's like create awareness level content, basically build trust through authoritative content. And if they like what you're saying, Eventually, they'll fall in love with your brand. They'll go further down the funnel to consideration and decision level content. This is how you could gobble up a bunch of awareness level content. The problem now is, is that it's trying to solve a problem transactionally with these three links on the right. If you're spending so much of your time with awareness level content and you don't talk about in depth about your products and services, it's going to be really hard for the AI to know the, the idiosyncrasies of your consideration and decision level content because we're so anxious to get people to our website that we write tons of thought leadership stuff, but we don't really break down our products and services and our differentiators and what makes us unique. Yeah. And but think, like, you know, if you land on one of those sites and it's a blog article, that's like awareness level, you could always just click the navigation that says like, get a quote or whatever the call to action is. But uh, like, what's like, so this is interesting. So you asked for a good place to do a retreat and they gave some specific places i think yep. in those lists but they also gave you a listicle yeah travel perk is a listicle on, yep. on your screen so what you're seeing here over to the right i believe i think they're trying to be smart it's like here's three answers on the left and on the right are like i would say like aggregators or just basically non-transactional websites does that make sense mm. but i do want to show you something here so you have the generative portion at the top. Then you have kind of like the old rich, rich feature snippet down here. Then you have people also ask. And then way down here, you have the 10 blue links that, that we used to basically used to be our bread and butter. So what I'm anxious to see is whether just like how users develop banner blindness, whether they are gonna just bypass all the stuff that just take some whatever, I don't know, and and go back to their whole monkey brain of going back to the blue links. I got this weird feeling like people have been clicking on blue links for so long that they might scroll past all of this other new stuff and get and go to the old way. Don't move my cheese, man. 
I yeah, you know, I mean that's yeah. Oh, I'm gonna thanks. I'm stealing that by the way because I give this talk all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> but younger generations will come in and they'll know that you can talk with the AI and eventually it'll probably the stuff at the top will probably matter. I also think with hallucinations, you know, everything that I look and find out in 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 chat and in AI, I double check with normal searches because I just the hallucination problem is 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 very very real. Yeah, interesting. So, I want to talk to you a little bit about about the hallucination problem. Um so one of the challenges you have with the hallucination problem, I'll stop my share my screen for a little bit, is I just mentioned that you can't get actual statistics, right? Like, in other words, if I ask for, give me supporting statistics that talk about why social media only works for manufacturers with large brands. And all of a sudden you get these 10 statistics, you're like, holy crap, it's perfect. But they weren't real statistics. They made them out. They made them up. But let's pretend like I wasn't, a good person. And then I started using statistics that weren't real. And then you use my blog as a reference. And then you use the statistic that I had made up. <laughs> so what happens with the compounding effect of misinformation? So I literally, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to the podcast, my first million, uh, but yeah, uh, because of you. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so Sam Parr is the, uh, the one of the hosts and he used to have this company, the hustle. Uh, yeah. and he was, I heard him talking about one on one of the episodes, he was talking about how, like every now and then he would just make things up. Like he would just like, write, like, he would like write click clickbait articles, like, or SEO articles, like, you know, net, like celebrity net worth articles or something, or say like, oh, so-and-so's net worth is X. And he would just like make up the number and it would just be like a total bullshit number that he made up. And then like a year later, he'd see like other people referencing his article and then like it's spreading. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could always do it, but could you do it at this scale? So this is a nerdy analogy. I'm trying to write a blog about it, but I'm trying to, I'm using <laughs> your podcast as as the as the temperature check here. Um, there was a book uh, and a movie, I forget what it was called, but uh, this guy is climbing in Arizona and he gets stuck between a rock 